Hey friends, this is Kate, the creative director of LOM, and I'm feeling especially grateful today for the opportunity to connect with Teju Adisa Farrar for our special Weaving New Worlds listening series. Teju is a writer, poet, and geographer. Her focus is on environmental and cultural equity, climate justice, and inclusive urbanism using a social geography's perspective. She encourages us to connect the dots between space, place, identity, and supports artists, activists, initiatives, collectives, and organizations who are mapping and making alternative futures. For a print publication, Weave in New Worlds, Kailea and I were really excited about the essay that Teju wrote that braids together poetry, philosophy, and practice. And we are the weavers, black mermaids, geography's intervention, and roots of imagining. Teju creates a vivid narrative that really invites us to contemplate how we can bring a new world into being. Today, Teju is going to be sharing a few excerpts from her beautiful and immersive essay, and then we're going to just dig in a little bit deeper into so many of the powerful and very timely themes that it speaks to. Teju, thank you so much for making the time today. Yes, absolutely. I'm happy to be here and we're so glad to be asked to contribute to this really important issue on weaving new worlds. Um, and I spend a lot of my time not only trying to address the social and environmental issues that exist in society today, but also to imagine alternative futures for when we do get to the other side of the current world that we live in. So I was really excited at the idea of thinking more about how imagination um, plays a role in intervening in the movement and building new alternatives for, um, for the other world we want to create. Yeah, that was, I think, one of the big reasons that Kyle and I were so drawn to your work is that it offered this really grounded geographical gateway into imagination, which feels in so many ways to be one of the most important skills that we can be cultivating right now. And I'd love um, if you'd be open to sharing um, a few paragraphs from your um, essay and to all of our listeners to really create the space now to sink into what Teju has to share because the poetry that she offers is so alive and so beautiful. And it's important, I think, to really, you know, wherever you are listening to this, take a moment to create your container so that you can truly tune in. Part one. When the giant wave comes washing over our bodies, Black people will become mermaids and indigenous people will become seeds. What will you become? What is your story? I mean, where do you come from? The ancestors? Where do I come from? My parents. Our first geography is our mother. Her uterus is our first environment, our first connection to nature. We are ripped, displaced, dispossessed, torn from the land, then worked, exploited, disposed of, and thrown back to the land. When they pull the last diamond from the earth's volcanic remains, when they poison all the water trying to pull oil from the sea floor, when they hire all the lawyers to litigate the trauma and violence and the pain, where will you be? What side of history will you be sitting on and will you be sitting there with me? See, there's no separate survival. Everyone is a full-length mirror, so please don't destroy yourself. Don't. 
destroy yourself. We all come from the soil, from the earth. We are all made of the ocean from birth. We have essence and there are ecosystems, tiny acts of resistance. Protecting the earth is protecting ourselves. Geography is a storyteller. If we listen and expand our idea of its articulations and applications, then we will realize this. It allows us to speculate on what can be based on what was and what is. Geography is where things are and how we relate to those physical features. It's the study of natural formations and people-made interventions. It documents, from the human's perspective, other species and time periods impact on our environment. None of us are passive in geography and there is no neutral geographer. This is incredibly instructive. Jamaican theorist Sylvia Winter says in Alternative Paradigm, quote, geography also becomes part of the study of our planet's overall self-organizing environmental ecological system. In this sense, geography becomes a lens through which we can understand the world, interact with our communities, and shape our societies. This is my understanding of geography, and this is why I call myself a geographer. Geography requires imagination and adaptability, which are required to construct alternative futures. Theory and its translation and application is also necessary for this vision. Along with solidarity, positionality, and paradigm shifts, we can assemble a potential new society. As we deepen our understanding of intersectional inter injustices, systemic oppression, and neoliberal capitalism, we need imagining and theory to produce what the other side, the other world, looks like. Even if none of us will be alive to see it, imagination and theory are the long vision. They are the strategies for when we get through. In movement building, the theorists, intellectuals, imagineers, visionaries should get together with the engineers, get with our communities, get with the people who are not housed, get with the young girls, get with the ecosystems in our regions and begin to create the other world. Simultaneously, we continue to deconstruct and break down the current structures that have failed us all and endangered other living organisms and species who inhabit this earth. Part three. The census helps us think about reframing society, quote, giving greater emphasis to which type of sensibilities and not just values are being prioritized and to what ultimate ideological and practical ends, end quote. Are we prioritizing the sensibility of materiality, economic consensus that is comfortable for elites and the wealthy few? Or are we prioritizing the sensibilities of ecological balance, rightness with nature, redistribution of resources, and the end of racialized ge geographical hierarchies based in extraction? In 2010, Jacques Rancière said, the census is Quote, a dispute over what is given about what the frame within which we see something as given, end quote. We do not have to accept the given idea that shifting the paradigm and restructuring society is not possible. We do not have to accept the given idea that capitalism is the best economic structure. We do not have to accept the given idea that sustainability should be profitable and is an individual endeavor. In fact, Dissensus allows us to dissent and still move forward, to be in productive conflict, acknowledging where our opponents are coming from, and then moving beyond it. 
Equity is about telling the whole truth, naming the cause and the culprits, recognizing the effects and residual trauma, trying to make wrongs right. Equity is about justice, and we cannot have justice without the truth. As Bell Hooks said in All About Love, New Visions, quote, the heart of justice is truth-telling, end quote. The truth is, we are the weavers of the new world, the other world. It is we who conceptualize it, who build it, who make it real, who map it. With the tools, with the loom, we are weaving possibilities into existence. Rather than feeling guilty, we want to encourage a sense of collective accountability. So those are a few paragraphs from my essay that Kate mentioned. It's part one, part two, and part three. And I really wanted to sort of create an arc of not only recognizing the different historical moments that have brought us to this point, but also thinking about the relationship to imagining, um, to dissensus, to focusing on regenerative practices rather than capitalistic structures. And I hope to sort of weave all of those themes into this piece about recognizing that we are the weavers. And we know that maps have been designed in a very political way. So we know that we can also remap the world um, and make different choices than we have before. So um, I wanted to just share a piece of that with you all. Thank you so much for that. It was so sweet to hear it in in your own voice. and. Something that I really would love to explore now is, oh, and a little backstory first is that um, we first connected last year at a storytelling workshop for youth that Loam created in collaboration with um, our Climate Voices. And you shared poetry as part of that gathering. And it was so special to see how a lot of the younger activists in that room, many of whom are in high school, really reacted to what you had to offer and and how it, it reached them on such a deep heart level. And and I think was a beautiful example that there are a lot of different ways to embody activism and to be thinking. And your ability to bring in poetry into the conversation, I think really sparked the sense of imagination for a lot of people in that room. And I keep coming back to that moment to to just how floored those younger activists were, because I think what makes your essay so unique is that it's it's very imaginative. It kind of it goes beyond what we think of as a conventional essay structure and brings together so many different voices and ideas and um, narrative styles. And I would love to hear more from you about when when you're thinking about storytelling, why does it feel important to weave together these different forms? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was a wonderful storytelling event. I was glad to be a part of it. And I'm always amazed at how there are certain concepts that if they're written in the sometimes very theoretical way that I can write them, they don't translate as well as when they're incorporated into poetry. And there's so many things that you don't have to say in a poem that you sort of do have to explain in dense writing. And so I find that poetry is sort of a shortcut in some ways to people's emotional attachment to the status quo and rethinking that. And I especially love to incorporate different forms of communicating because I find that there's a sort of 
mainstream way of how we're supposed to communicate complex concepts and what is the right language to use and how we're supposed to articulate theories. And in some ways, it's very exclusionary. But what I find about poetry is that it sort of brings people in, people who maybe would not be thinking about the concepts in the way that I would write them in an essay, but can sort of grasp them in the way that I would speak about them in a poem. And so I like to incorporate different modes of writing and speaking to include people who may be excluded in other ways um, and to invite people in who normally or, or maybe um, in dominant society are not invited in. And I feel like the arts in general has a way of doing that. And so when I can incorporate art in the form of poetry and when I'm doing a presentation in the form of visual arts with artists who I love, um, then I try my best to do that. And so I, I really wanted to incorporate many different formats in this essay to try to find a way to balance the theoretical, maybe complex communicating styles with the more metaphorical and imaginative styles to allow people from a variety of backgrounds to receive it and to find pieces of it that maybe they can connect to and maybe other pieces of it that they don't feel so connected to. And the reason why I wanted to incorporate this idea of dissensus as well is because there is this idea that everyone has to agree everyone has to fully understand or we can't move forward. And I don't agree with that. And so I wanted to sort of have a unconventional format to allude to this idea of dissensus of not everything has to be cohesive to be effective. Not everything has to be um, consensual to be collaborative. And I hoped that with this essay, um, I can sort of have an amalgamation of all of those things in one. And so I try my best when I'm doing a presentation or writing something to have different aspects of it, um, along with having a sort of style, um, but having different aspects that allow a multitude of people to um, to hear it. So I, I hope I was able to do that with this in some way. And I love, I really do love what you shared about dissensus, and I think that is an idea that is alive in the hearts of so many of our readers and particularly what you said, um, it doesn't need to be necessarily consensual to be collaborative, that there's, that there's room for, for disagreement. There's room for questioning. There's room for, for gaps as it were. And I'm wondering if you have any insight for our listeners who are maybe experiencing the census in their collaborative spaces whether it's in community organizing um, that they're doing in their in their neighborhoods or whether it's in the context of arts and activism, if you have any insight into how they can learn to to honor the census and to really see the value in the census because I think so many of us have you know been socialized to shut down when that type of conflict occurs and and I love your invitation, yes, like the census doesn't mean we can't move forward. So are there any tangible tools or practices that might help a listener cultivate a, a healthy space uh, for dissensus to, to be recognized? That's a great question, Kate, because especially in our educational system, we're often forced into consensus and not only forced into consensus, but we're taught that consensus is the highest form of collaboration, that when everyone agrees, then we've reached some sort of pinnacle. Um, and so my 
my suggestions would be to be comfortable with being uncomfortable, which is like something that we say all the time, but really sitting in that discomfort and also thinking about how your childhood experiences, how your current socioeconomic realities, how your current racial identifiers, gender qualifiers have contributed to your perspective. Positionality is really important in my work. And I really encourage people to think about their positionality, think about their subjective experience and how that contributes to the thought process that they have now and their blind spots. And so what's important is to understand where people are coming from and recognize that because we have different experiences, because we have different childhoods, because we have different lived realities, that our perspectives on what is the right thing or what is the thing that's going to move us forward is going to be different. So when we try to recognize our individual positionality and recognize that other people are also trying to think about the positionality, then we can realize that people are coming from different experiences. And when we understand that, that gives us a little bit more empathy to think about not necessarily what is the right thing, but what are things that will move us forward. And maybe it's not one thing, maybe it's many things. And one of the issues, I think, particularly in the U.S., but in the Western world in general, is that there is this monoculture, that there has to be one way of doing things, one main crop, one main type of education, as a, as opposed to plurality, as opposed to diversity, which we know is nature's inherent state. And so I encourage us to think about the diversity in nature and how there's many different parts working collaboratively and separately towards continuity. So if there's a disconnect between multiple ideas, is it possible to do more than one idea? Maybe not at the same time, but in different stages and different timelines, or maybe at the same time, is there a way to interweave those ideas some way rather than having to choose one? Um, is there a way to take a break, to be in silence, maybe to go outside and take some deep breaths and then come back together and think about what is the vision? Not not what is the one thing we're trying to do, but what is the overarching vision of what we're trying to do? And is there more than one way to get there? And if so, how do we create space for more than one way? And I think talking is a way to do this. Actively doing things together, especially in nature, is a way to do this. Planting things together, um, listening to music. I use the example of jazz in my piece, but there's several types of music that play on this census. Um, and they all feel good. You know, we don't necessarily think about jazz as not being a consensual art form, but when you listen to specific instrumental elements of jazz, they're not always um, aligned in a way that is consensual, and yet the feeling of the music is still there. So um, I encourage us to make more than one pathway forward and to encourage people to practice plurality rather than this idea of one specific way of doing. And that's a sort of umbrella uh, advice, I guess. But I think it is helpful to just already start to think of what if there was more than one way? Could we do multiple ways? And if so, what would that look like? This idea of, of coming back home to the vision, I think is so, so important and truly so instructive because I think, yeah, what you're speaking to about plurality, um, it gives us spaciousness to be human and gives us room to notice, oh, there's a lot of, there's more possibility 
than we even recognize. And I love remembering a vision is made up of many different parts and there's there's many different ways to get there. And within each one of those paths, there's room to be human, to consider, to talk, to connect. And yeah, I really, I really love that invitation in your piece to imagine what plurality would mean as, as part of, as a daily practice, as it were, in our, in our home life and our activist spaces. It just feels so needed right now. And I feel like Loam really has done that with the publication. I mean, when I was reading the first issue, there were so many different perspectives, but it still felt like a cohesive vision. And so I, I was immediately excited to contribute because I knew that there'd be so many diverse perspectives that I wouldn't be repeating anything or I wouldn't be, um, there wouldn't be one line of thought in it. And so I also commend you all for trying to find a diverse set of voices and not just in ethnic or racial background, but really in perspective, in practice, um, in theory. And so I think you all do that well. And the idea of weaving new worlds is you're not necessarily using all of the same fibers to do it. You're using a multitude of fibers, but you weave them together. So I think this issue specifically does a really good job of that. Thank you. That is is really meaningful to hear and always our hope. And yeah, you're exactly right. You know, it's not the same fiber. There's so many different ways to weave these new worlds. And so our last question has kind of two parts and just one um, that stems from when Kyle and I are putting together each issue and thinking about whose voices we want to come forward, what stories we're excited to share with our community. We we really love the idea of creating just a rich sensory experience for readers. And I think that's why for both of us, your essay was so genuinely invigorating to read is because I felt like we traveled somewhere in the content in over the course of, of reading it. It had a lot of ties to water, to bodies of water and to land too, and and really created a space. And so I would love to hear from you when readers are paging through this issue and particularly through your essay, is there, do you dream of a certain type of space that they can create to truly take in your words? What kind of container would you like to offer them to help to better connect to what it is you're sharing? That's a good question. I don't know if I have a specific answer. I'm thinking that wherever they have a moment to pause, if that's in a parking lot in the car, if that's under a tree, if that's on a trail, if that's in their room in a noisy house, wherever they have a moment to pause is where they should begin to read it and receive it. And I'm often hesitant to specifically talk about people being in nature while reading these types of things because not everyone feels safe in nature not everyone has access to green spaces but I think it is important if you have access to nature and access to green spaces um, to be there at some point before after or during your reading not only my writing for this issue but this entire issue to really remind ourselves of our humanity and of the fact that we're part of ecological systems rather than disrupting them. 
Um, I would encourage people to take a few deep breaths before they read it, maybe during them reading it, maybe after as well, to just make sure you're breathing because sometimes we don't realize how often we're holding our breath. So just to exhale while reading it, I think inhaling and exhaling are equally important um, when we're thinking about new ideas or maybe ideas that force us to stretch a little bit or maybe ideas that seem far off from what the reality is now. Um, I encourage people to think about their experiences in the world, how they view the world, what's important to them in the world, what's not important to them in the world, what they learned in history, what they didn't learn in history, if they've ever taken a geography course, if they've never taken a geography course. All of these different realities are important and relevant. And so as you're reading my writing, um, part one, part two, and part three, really positioning yourself in yourself and taking it in for what it means to you. Um, and whatever it means to you is the right answer. There is no way to interpret this that is universal. It's all subjective. And I, and I really do mean that. There are some moments in history and there's some geographic concepts that I mention that are a reality. But your relationship to them, your response to them um, is whatever personal response you have. There is no one way to respond to what I've written. So that's really important to me that people know that however they receive my writing, however they receive this particular piece, we are the weavers, that that is the right way to receive it. And there is no universal way of of being with it. Um, and I think that's just part of my feelings about the world in general um, and this census in general, but also and specifically this essay, which is in some moments very dense and in other moments a bit lighter and in other moments complex and in some moments really straightforward. It's all of those things. And so however you receive all of those things um, is how you receive all of those things. And, and that is what it is. Wow, I love all of that so so much. Um, yeah, and as and also the reminder to breathe feels so important, and to really take the time, like you were saying, to position ourselves in our bodies is so simple but so so powerful. Teju, thank you so much for for writing this piece for this issue. It in so many ways embodies the spirit of what Kyle and I hoped Weaving Your Worlds would bring into life. And thank you as well for making the time to connect today and to share a few excerpts from your work. It was, again, so special to hear it in your own voice. And yeah, I'm really excited um, to all of our listeners for you to read this piece and to hear your thoughts and, and what it inspires in you. I would love to hear people's thoughts as well and what seemed accessible and what seemed inaccessible and all of the different emotions and ideas that I brought up. Um, I also am looking forward to people's thoughts about it because that's equally important to me, not only how I wanted to write it and the style I wanted to write it in, but also how people receive it and the different ways that they receive it. So I am looking forward to that as well and to reading the rest of the contributions from the issue. Yeah, it truly is a conversation. So just excited to open to open up the conversation with you all. 
And I think now more than ever, we need to continue to uplift these conversations and think about imagining new possibilities with the mainstream conversation around police brutality turning to abolition and defunding police and investing in community restorative justice. I mean, that is a whole different world. And we really need to take this time to imagine what that world without police can look like and what needs to be in place in order for that to be a successful world and not a world where people still feel left out or like they don't have what they need or like they're in fear. And so whenever we're talking about abolition, we're also talking about imagination. And so I feel like this issue on weaving a new world is coming right on time. Yeah, <laughs> it does. It does feel so strange, everything that has folded in the couple of months since. And and yeah, you're right. You can't talk about abolition without talking about imagination. I mean, none of what we're talking about, none of what we're working to change, we can change without first imagining it. And and yeah, I just want to thank you again for creating a space for our readers to, to be in that work of imagination. Um, so yeah. Really excited again for you all to read. Really grateful to you again, Tiju, for sharing and Weaving New Worlds. Um, will be out very soon. <laughs> um, it's it be such, yeah, really grateful for your patience and understanding in this process. And also hope that you'll stay um, in touch. We're going to be continuing with our Weaving New Worlds listening series in the next couple of weeks. And then um, Lone Listen is going in a new direction um, with a new host, which I'm really, really excited about. So I hope that you all will stay tuned for that evolution as well, because we are really excited for, for what's in bloom. All right. Be well, everyone. Bye.